Thank you for listening to the Grace Church Podcast. You are listening to Rooted by Eric Platt, where Eric is going through his life experiences, wounds of his own heart, and the ways that the Spirit of God has healed those things from an understanding of the Grace message. If you would like to learn more about Grace Church or find other messages, please visit us at graceorlando.com. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about worthlessness and how important it is to know your worth. So the Hebrew word for today is Sheva. Everybody say Sheva. That's not to get confused with Sheva, which is for the number seven. Okay, so it's, it's a different spelt word, but it's pronounced the same. Uh, me and Richard were actually having a conversation about some of these things, that there's words that sound very similar, but that doesn't mean the letters are the same, so they're actually different letters for the word. Um, so this is an actual noun. Okay, so remember, a noun is a person, it's a place, or it's thing. This is talking about your identity. Identity is key. Knowing who you are and what you have because of what Jesus has done is key. So I always encourage, listen to the word, and make sure I use Joseph Prince. You can use any other grace preacher. You can use Javen. Um, you know, you can use uh, Judah Smith. Um, they're Creflo Dollar, they're out there. They are, they, are, they are out there. So think about this. For a year before I got grace, I was listening to grace messages, and I listened seven days a week. And not only did I listen seven days a week, anything that I thought, no, that doesn't sound right, I'd go back to the Bible. I'm like, man, it's really here. Then I would dabble into the Greek and the Hebrew and dig even more, and it would just come up. And in a year, my mind was renewed. I came to a place where it wasn't just knowledge. Listen, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I got it. I mean, it was real to me. And I love what Pastor Clark said. Something along these lines, I'm going to paraphrase. If they're not excited like me, they haven't gotten it yet. Doesn't mean they're not born again. Doesn't mean they're not the righteousness of God. Doesn't mean they're not holy. Doesn't mean they're not blessed. Doesn't mean any of that. They just haven't gotten it yet. But think about this. I listened every day for a year. So that's equivalent to somebody for seven years listening once a week. So if you're just coming into church once a week, and you're not saying it's not doing anything, but it's taking longer, you know? And so that's just a little testimony I'm sure about that. But anyways, Sheva. So I love this, I love this word. Um, it means false. It means lie. Listen, your old man or old woman is false and it's a lie. And the enemy wants to try to bring those things back up to get you to identify with that's who you are. And he will use people. It's just true. People that have wounds, he knows how to poke those wounds to get those people to hurt other people. Just my life experience. So what's very interesting in the Hebrew, shin, vav, aleph, Shin is a picture of teeth, which destroys. Vav is a picture of a nail, and Aleph is a picture of a sacrificial animal. So basically, when you believe that you're not who God says you are, you're destroying the nail of the sacrifice, which is a picture of Jesus and what he did on the cross for you and for me. So when somebody says something and brings something back up, so I'm going to go ahead and just let it out there. So me and uh, Javen and Kim went to get into the jail. So we go to get in, and all of a sudden, the lady gets on the phone and says, Eric, you've got a warrant for your arrest. From 1994, misdemeanor, 
Oh, they didn't let me in. I, no, I'm surprised they let me they, they let me leave. I mean, I was like, can I get my license? I'm ready to run for the door, you know what I mean? I was like, they got all that heavy stuff on. They ain't going to catch me. I'm going to be moving, you know? And, and so I, now I got to go back, and I got to go to the courts back in Broward County where it was originally from, and I have to deal with it and so I can get into the jail. See, we tried to get into the jail over in, um, in Volusia, county and the door god shut the door the guy didn't want us in there this is an attack he doesn't want us to go in there because the truth is they're probably not hearing grace and i'm not saying that in arrogance like i've got something that other people don't but you know what i do have something that other people don't you have something that other people don't and then after that the assaults came trying to bring up the old me and then i would actually have to go before a judge like a criminal it was a battle it was a battle so the fiery darts of the wicked one. We're going to take care of that, though. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, literally passed away as there's been a death. Behold, all things have become new. You can never become unborn again and go back to what you were before you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's impossible. You can't. Now, you might think that way, you might feel that way, but that what you think and that what you feel doesn't mean that's truth. Well, Eric, what is truth? Well, John chapter 1, he said that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, the word came is a singular verb. That means grace and truth are one. It's not two separate things that are, that are together. It's they're both one thing. Then I love... Romans 6, 9 through 10. Jesus died to sin once and for all. That means it's in the perfect tense. That means it's been done once and it never needs to be repeated again. And then it says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon. It's an accounting term. Logizomohi. And it literally means to account that your old man is dead and that you are alive in Christ now. I had a teaching when I was coming up through discipleship and they, they would say, oh, your old man, he'll kick back out the coffin and come back. Like when you do something wrong, they said that's the old man kicking the coffin open and doing something. Not according to scripture. That's impossible. That's just sin in the flesh or a wound. As we've been learning, we do things because we're wounded. So anyways, uh, so for the scripture today, it's 1 Peter 1.18. I love it. We have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Redeemed literally means to be bought back out of the slave market of sin because that's what happened when Adam sinned is that man fell into the slave market of sin. So do you know what happened when you were a child? Rejection came in and it, and it bid highest for you. And it stole, killed, and destroyed your life until it was done with you. Then you get back off, and then you get back on. And then, dr whoa, drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever the thing is, it would, it would buy you. And then it would steal, kill, and destroy from your life. And it keeps going on and on and on until you are destroyed. But he redeemed us from the slave market of sin and how humiliating that was. You know, Joseph didn't even have a loincloth. 
they had to examine him back in those days to make sure that uh, he didn't have any types of diseases on the skin. Because if they brought that into the home, the other slaves would get it. Right? How humiliating. Boom. Boom. These are people's lives. This is what happens. Oh, you don't think the enemy's behind it? You bet. He takes advantage of it. It's like the enemy will tempt you to do something, arouse the sin in the flesh, and then once you do something, he's right there to condemn you, to give you shame and guilt. But when you know who you are, you're like, cool, that ain't me. Let's keep walking. I'm the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ apart from my works. Redeemed. You have been redeemed. This isn't an emotion. This is what God's reality is. The veil has been removed. You have been redeemed. And now you are a son or daughter of God. And that can never change. Why do you think uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again? He cut through it all. He wasn't, listen, he didn't play around with Nicodemus at all. Nicodemus was a self-righteous Pharisee, and he came at night because he didn't want anybody to see that he was coming. He was scared. And so he sits with Jesus, and Jesus is like, dude, you need to be born again. And then he says, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So physically, if it's impossible to be born again, like, like be unborn and then be reborn again, how is it possible once you're born again to go back and be unborn again and go back over to the slave market of sin? Can't. Nothing you can do could bring you back to the slave market of sin because you've been redeemed. And here's the thing. It wasn't with corruptible things, things of this world. It was from uncorruptible things. It was the currency of heaven that was paid so that you could be redeemed. So let me give you a little more in on this. Hebrews 9.12. Hebrews is one of my favorite books. So the high priest, right, would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of Yom Kippur. Day is Yom, Kippur is atonement. It comes from the Hebrew word kaparith, and it means to cover. So the first thing he'd do is he'd spray, he'd spray and sprinkle the blood seven times before him so he could step closer, and then he would sprinkle once on the mercy seat. And it was good for one year. It covered the sins of the people, of the blood of goats and bulls. But you know what it says? It says Jesus went into the real holy of holies in heaven. And he brought his blood. And he didn't need to sprinkle seven times because he is the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He is, he, he is it, you know. And then he took his blood and he sprinkled his blood. Uncorruptible can never perish, can never lose its value. And he sprinkled it on the mercy seat one time forever. Again, in the perfect tense, it's done one time and it never needs to be repeated again. When Jesus said it is finished, that's the perfect tense. So it's two pictures. One picture is a picture of a merchant and a buyer. And as soon as they exchange the money for the goods, the person that had the, the goods and exchanged it for the money gets the money in their hands, and they say, telelistai, it is finished. Or the root word, teleho, finished. Then the other is a servant that goes before a king and has uh, something that given to him to finish, and when he comes back, he kneels down, and he says, telelistai, it is finished, and it never needs to be repeated again. The work doesn't need to be looked at a second time. The work of Jesus does not need to be looked at a second time. It's been done once and for all and never needs to be repeated again. Matthew 13, 45, 46. I'm going to read this from my Bible, the King James Version. 
45, 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Most people read that as Jesus is the pearl, and we sell everything we have to buy the pearl. Man is bankrupt of being able to redeem himself. We are the pearl. Jesus is the merchant man. He gave up heaven to come down into the likeness of sinful flesh so that he could redeem us the pearl that he found of great precious spice. Why do you think it says uh, Proverbs 31.10? Who can find a virtuous woman? Remember, I told you, he's speaking of the church. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her value is far above rubies, but it's also the word for pearls. He's, he was seeking us. There's a whole theology out there right now with new covenant, mixing in with new covenant teaching, saying we have to seek God as if God's lost. As if God's hiding himself. If he was going to hide himself, he would have stayed behind the veil and he would have continued to have the temple and that's where people would come. But the, tail was, the, the veil was torn. Do you know rabbinical tradition says the veil was four feet thick? that you could have taken two thoroughbreds and tied it to each side and tried to tear it, and they wouldn't be able to tear it apart. But God, he put the veil up there. He can take the veil down. The price paid determines the value. Uncorruptible. The precious blood of Jesus. Luke 15. This is a picture of the woman with ten coins. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. So remember, you got the shepherd, the good shepherd, that loses one sheep. You've got the uh, woman that loses one of the, the silver coins, and then you've got the father that loses his son, the prodigal son. Matter of fact, you know the, the Jewish rabbis teach this, and they don't call it the prodigal son. They call it the prodigal father. Why? Because prodigal means reckless. And the son's reckless spending was outdone by the father's reckless giving. So anyways, the woman is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinity in here. You've got... The Son, you got the Holy Spirit, and you got the Father. So what does it say? It says that she lost one of the coins. And then it says she swept for it. Do you know what that word swept means? She dragged everything around to find that coin. She didn't stop, just like, just like the good shepherd didn't stop until he found the sheep. She didn't stop until she found it. That coin has an image on it, and it's the lost image of the man that was created in Genesis. And silver means redemption, to redeem and buy back that image and give it back to man. That's why when it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's a picture of a coin in a mint stamped. We have that permanent image of Jesus, and that's how God identifies with us today. We've heard this term before, follow me, la'akov, in Hebrew. This is what a rabbi would say to his disciples, la'akov, follow me. Did you know it was every Jewish boy's dream to become a rabbi? Like in, you know, in, the, in modern Western civilization, it's I want to be the football player, the baseball player. I want to be you know, the, the rock star. Whatever, whatever things we, that we have out there. That, that they had a theocracy. In, in the history of man, there's only been one people that's been ruled by God, which is a theocracy, and that was the Jews. They ru ruled. Basically, I wrote on here, there's a, this is a schooling that Jewish boys and girls go through. The first one, Bet Safar, that's six years old to 12 years old. That was for boys and girls. Then Bet Midrash was 13 to 15. This was only for boys, and they had to be invited. 
a rabbi would come and find him and say, follow me. None of his disciples made it past Bethsephar. They missed out on their opportunity to be what their whole theocracy that they were living under was, and they missed out. And you know what they would tell you? Go learn the trade of your father. What do you think Peter Simon's father did? Fisherman. And Bet Talmud is from 15 to 30, and at 30 years old, do you know the last thing that they need to do before they become a rabbi is go into the mikvah, it's a pool of water, and be baptized. Do you know Jesus followed along all these lines? There's, not, there's nothing from 12 years old to 30 years old that's said about Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? There's some debatable things there, and it's valid. I, I understand. Don't bring them to me because I, I'm not even going to go there with it. But, but I will tell you this much. He followed a line with all the traditions of the Jewish people. And so what they would have done after he was baptized, in order to teach your own yoke, you know how it says my yoke is easy and my burden's light. It's, it, it can be a picture of like two oxen and then one, a stronger one shares the burden, the burden of the other one. But in, in the Jewish culture, yoke is teaching. So you have to have two witnesses when you come up from the mikvah baptism. If you have two rabbis that, that vouch for you, now you can teach your own yoke. You don't have to teach the yoke of your rabbi anymore that you've learned under all those years. You teach your own yoke. And when Jesus walked up, John the Baptist, first witness. Behold, the Lamb of God that comes away to take the sins of the world. And then, when he came up out of the water, the, the dove, as the Holy Spirit, descended upon him. And then his father spoke and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus can teach his own yoke now. And none of the rabbis would be able to say anything about it. And Jesus did teach his own yoke. He taught very different from the rabbis of the day. Okay, so at 30 years old, after he comes up, he can teach his own yoke. You know where they would go? Back to all, any rabbi, Bet Talmudim, the house of disciples. And they would pick out the cream of the crop students, and they would say, follow me. Do you know where Jesus went? He went and found some fishermen <laughs> that had missed out in their chance of their dream and why do you think it says, as soon as he said, follow me, they immediately left their nets. That word immediately is euthios. And basically, immediately, at once, they left everything. Because they saw an opportunity for a whole brand new life that they never thought they could have again. Just those words caused those disciples to follow him and never look back. And who did he get? And I love Matthew, the tax collector. Do you know in Matthew's writings, uh, he says, he's, t he's telling like who everybody is, and then in there he goes, and Matthew, the tax collector. He still called himself a tax collector. See, don't ever allow yourself to be condemned, have shame and guilt, but don't ever forget where you've come from. Because when you forget where you come from, you start thinking that you've earned and deserved what you have when there's nothing that you have to this date that you've earned and deserved. Your obedience hasn't merited it from God. Your sacrifice hasn't merited it from God. None of those things. And those things are all what we do out of love, but they're not things we do to be loved and to get all the things that Jesus died to give us. Amen? Amen. And if you look at Peter, he had a lot of problems. Like if you, if you follow through all the way to Acts, he had a lot of problems. Um, matter of fact, Paul had to rebuke him one time because he wasn't getting grace. 
He had forgotten the grace that, you know. You know when Peter, uh, they were on the boat, and, G- and Jesus had appeared to Peter before that, but then when he was with the disciples, he said, hey, I'm going fishing. They all followed him because he was the leader. Everybody followed Peter. And uh, Jesus shows up on the shore, and he goes, children, have you caught anything? And John recognizes him, and he says, it's the Lord. So Peter puts on his outer garment, and he jumps, and he starts swimming towards him. So they're sitting down and they're eating and he's got fish and bread for them. Here he is feeding them. He doesn't say anything to them. I mean, Peter is like, you swore you would never leave me nor forsake me. No, Jesus is the one that never leaves you nor forsake you. We can't say that to him. Remember, last week's lesson, he's holding on to us. We're not holding on to him. If you're holding on to him and that's what you think, you're going to end up slipping and letting go because you can't hold on to him, but he can hold on to you. And, and so uh, he says, Peter... Do you love me? Uses first time the Greek word phileo. Do you like me as a brother? Right? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's the last one, the first one. Do you love me, agape? Peter's like, man, you know I don't love you like that. Then he asks him a third, uh, second time. He goes, Peter, do you love me, agape? He goes, no. You know all things, Lord. You know I don't love you like that. He goes, Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know I only phileo you. Good, now go feed my sheep. You forgot where you came from, Peter, and what I brought you from. And I came and I found you. You didn't find me. Now go feed my sheep. Peter was restored in a sense of, of a calling to ministry. All these things are important to see what we've been through to get us to the place we were at today to know what our value was. See, most people, and I've done it, determines their value on what they do or what they don't do. When you do that, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. You never get to a place of peace because you're still thinking it's what you do or what you don't do that determines how valuable you are. If you never did anything for Jesus, your value hasn't changed because of the price that's been paid for you. But when you know the price that's been paid for you and you know how much he loves you, you'll have good fruit, not dead works. There's a difference. Dead works is you trying to earn and deserve. Good works is what comes out of your life because you know that you're loved and you know you're valuable. Trust me, you take any hardcore addiction and I guarantee you those people don't know what their value is because they would not self-destruct that way if they knew that truth. And, and the sad thing is, is the church isn't really telling them. It's, yeah, God loves you, but... Now keep all this. That's not the gospel. The gospel is he loves you, 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 because that's who he is. And that can never change. There's nothing you can do to void the love of God that he loves you with. He is so in love with you that we can't even fathom. Like his definition of love through his experience and our definition of love through our experience doesn't even come close because his love is beyond anything. And I'll, and I'll stop with this last scripture. So just so you can get an idea about God's love, because that's what determines your value. For God so loved the world that he gave. His love gave, what, his only begotten son. His love paid the price. 
so that we could be redeemed from the slave market of sin. And there's still people in church that are in the slave market of sin. Oh, it might not be drugs and alcohol, but they have other things. And they don't even know it. And no, they might not be as destructive as drugs and alcohol or, or, or sex addictions or things of that nature. But, they, but they, they are destructive. Stress you out, all that. So in Psalms uh, 136, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And this is the part we're going to focus on. And his mercy endureth forever. So the word mercy is the Hebrew word chesed. Now, Dilich, which wrote the, the Brit Hadashah, which is the Jewish New Covenant, he took all the Greek words and lined them up with all the Hebrew words and replaced it with all the Hebrew words. Do you know what word he replaced uh, chesed with in, in the Greek? Charis, where we get the, where we get the Greek word grace. So they actually define it as grace. It can mean multiple things. There's a whole thing to it. Uh, it. It has a pictograph, which is a picture of a mother swan with her little signets on her back with the wings covering them. There's a picture, Jewish picture of that. Um, it means loving kindness, mercy, grace. But really, when he took those two words and he equaled them out, he says, this is it. This is its counterpart. This is the one that's going to replace this, which is going to be hesed. So, and it said, his hesed endureth forever. The word forever is olam. It's where the Jewish people use for universe. So if you want even an inkling of an idea of the grace of God, measure the universe. And then get back to me and he'll let you know more after that. Because it goes on and on and on and on. That's why it says where sin increases, grace superabounds. See, grace will swallow up sin when people are getting grace. The biggest thing I've had, you know, this is the biggest attacks that I've had from people. You're just telling people they can sin. Like I told you about the alcohol. I was never worried about anybody that's under grace going out, oh, I can drink and do whatever I want. Why now? After I said that, now you want to do it? That's a, that doesn't happen. It, I care more about the people that secretly are struggling with drinking and feeling condemned so that they know that they're loved just as they are and that they can go to him with this and they can get the love they need to heal that wound to why they're drinking in the first place. I'm more concerned about that than I am people going buck wild. Two people I've met out of, the, out of the 13 years I've taught grace, two people that were just, oh, good, I can do whatever I want. Only two people. And they didn't understand grace. They weren't, lo- they weren't around long enough to even get it in the first place. They just heard it one time, oh, I can do whatever I want. Oh, Pastor Eric said I can do whatever I want. You can, but there's going to get, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like not everything's beneficial for you. I've said that before, you know what I mean? And so anyways, leaving on this note, think about this. The first Hebrew word in Genesis is barashit. Bar is sun, esh is fire, and et is whom. The sun whom is fire or a radiant light. Jesus was in the beginning. How do we know that? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Colossians says all things were created by him, for him, and through him. He gave up eternity. Jesus, the creator, Jesus, for you. And you know what? He didn't even think twice about it. 
It was already a, a, a forethought from the very beginning before the fall ever happened. It says in Revelation that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. It was already in God's plan, and he was already set to redeem man. He didn't even think twice about it. That's what he thinks about you. That's how much value you have. That's what you're worth to him. And it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him and who he is. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time. Let the seeds be rooted in good ground. And the enemy's attempt to try to snatch away the seeds would be dumbfounded at this moment. And that they would leave here feeling refreshed with a weight off their shoulders. Maybe some of you have been carrying weights about knowing these things and you're hearing this today and the weight's being removed. That's what Jesus said. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you don't have to worry about doing anything to get anything from God. All you do is just sit and listen to the gospel of grace, the too good to be true news, and be transformed from the inside out. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.